Good morning, Four Oaks. I am uh, Pastor Paul. Uh, so glad to be here. So glad you're here. I'm the lead pastor here at Killarne. Now, if, if we don't know each other, one thing you need to know about me, which is simply this, if we're, you and I are going to be friends, right, um, you have to have the proper nerd quotient in you, right? You got to have a little bit of nerd in you. And, and whether it's Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or Matrix or Marvel, any of these will do. But above all, you need a little Harry Potter, okay? So in the third book, Harry Potter, the Prisoner of Azkaban, we're introduced to a creature known as a Bogart, right? This is a magical creature that takes the form, and I love this, of whatever it is that you fear the most. And so Professor Lupin lines up the students in the dark arts class, and he, the Bogart's in the box, and the students line up one by one. And the professor opens the, the box, the Bogart comes out, and it takes the form of the student in front of them, whatever they fear the most. So for one, it's a spider, and another, it's a dementor, and another, it's their most, their chemistry teacher, you know, what have you. Now, if I were in that class, okay, I would be perched across the top of the Empire State Building, precipitously balancing on the ledge, right? What would, it, what would it be for you if it was my mom? It would be bumblebees. I kid you not. That is true. If it was Indiana Jones, who would it be? Think you get the idea, right? You're playing along at home. Now, let me ask you a serious question, sort of all kidding aside. Let's put a little bit more of a serious tenor on this. What would really come out of that box for you? See, what comes out of the box tells us really what we're most afraid of what is it that you really fear? No, understand, I don't, don't ask, do you really fear something? We all do. What I'm asking is, what is it that you really fear? Maybe it's something you've never even mentioned, you've ever said out loud because it's just too frightening, too terrifying. Maybe it's law enforcement showing up at your door at 2 a.m. and letting you know that a loved one's been in an accident. Maybe it's the bailiff delivering divorce papers to your mailbox. Maybe for you it's getting that letter or that email or that text from your boss letting you know that the company is moving along without you. Maybe it's getting an incurable diagnosis of some incurable disease from your doctor or maybe it's an episode from your past, some sort of horrific sort of abuse that you have experienced. What is it that you fear the most? That's an important question, but I think an even more important question is, what do you do with those fears? What do you do with it? I mean, we, we've got all kinds of strategies in our culture for dealing with our fears, don't we? we? We ignore them, we stuff them down, we downplay them. Maybe you're like me, maybe you eat your fears, you eat your feelings. You rationalize them, you get super distracted with work or relationships or hobbies, some, anything to kind of keep you from thinking or meditating on your fears. But let's all be brutally honest, okay? We know in our heart of hearts they just don't work. See, those fears always bubble to the surface, don't they? No matter what we do to stuff them down, they'll either leak out or seep out Sometimes they'll explode out unexpectedly. Sometimes they'll take the form of a panic attack or some sort of crisis of faith. For all of us, we know that that fear always is lurking below the surface as part of being fallen, broken humans. Well, 
the Apostle Paul has something to say about our deepest fears and what you and I are to do about them. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 this morning. We've, if you're new to Four Oaks or not a regular part of the Four Oaks family, we've been preaching through the book of Romans um, over this past year or so, and we've been particularly camping out in Romans 8. And in fact, focusing in on this passage, we're going to be reading this this morning. And here, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 31 to the end of the chapter, he is writing to a church that is facing real fears. We're not talking about first world fears. Pastor Paul, my internet won't download as fast as I want it to, right? I have to wait too long at the traffic light. I mean, those sorts of things. I mean, we're talking about real fears. This is a group of people living under the boot of Rome. The oppressive regime of Nero sort of always hovers over them. Their, their economic situations, their vocational situations are tenuous. Their physical lives and circumstances always kind of seem to be on the ragged edge. And, and they're wrestling with these very real fears just like you and I do. And I love this. Paul addresses them head on. He doesn't pretend they're not there. He doesn't throw spiritual speak at them. But what he does want to do is point us to something greater than all of our fears. See, all of us will do something with our fears, right? We all deal with them in some way. Some in healthy ways, some in not so unhealthy ways. But Paul is going to show us the biblical way, the spiritual way, the only truth-defining way to deal completely and satisfactorily with all of our fears. So with that said, I'm going to invite us to stand this morning. We're going to read Romans 8, 31 through 39. If you're new here, the reason we stand is we're not here to hear what I have to say or what any other human has to say. All of us are here standing under the Word of God, and we want God's Word to have its say in our lives. So let's read, beginning in verse 31 of Romans 8. We're going to have it on the screen behind us as well. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, this text speaks to the deepest part of our souls. 
Lord, we are fearful people. We're anxious people. Um, there, are, there are things that we know as humans we don't have control over. And Father, we're, our souls are in constant search for some place to plant our feet. We, we, we want something certain. We want something sure in a world that is anything but. And so, Father, you've given us the answer here. The answer is your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we ask now that you would write this word on our hearts. I pray specifically for anyone this morning who is faced with paralyzing fear, terrifying grief, overwhelming anxiety. And Father, I pray that you would speak to their souls through the gospel, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may take your seats. So, movie illustration number two, this is two of three, I'm just giving you fair warning. One of my favorite movies, of course, is I Am Legend by Will Smith. Now, this is Will Smith pre-slap, just FYI. Now, now, Will Smith is a survivor in a post-apocalyptic zombie takeover of the world in New York City. And of course, it's only Will Smith who survives, okay? But, but one of the ways that, that Will Smith copes with this reality, that he thinks he's the only one left on planet Earth, so to speak, is that he gets up every morning and he puts in the old VHS tape, remember those, the VHS tape? And he watches reruns of the Today Show. And he kind of like does this ritual every morning to kind of give him the sense of normalcy, that everything's fine, there, nothing's changed, everything's gonna, gonna be okay. And he ends his day by listening to the classic Bob Marley tune, every little thing is gonna be all right. And it's his, sort of his way of sort of to live in denial of everything else that's happening around him. But there's one poignant scene where he begins to listen to this Bob Marley song and he begins to cry, right? Because even though he wants it all to not be true, what's happened around him, he knows it really is. Now, one of the things I really appreciate about the Bible, if you're kind of new to the Bible, not super familiar with the Bible, the Bible doesn't play that game. The Bible doesn't do the old bait and switch and over here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you this, but then I'm gonna show you that. The Bible gets right to it. The Bible gives us life in black and white reality as it is. And Paul does that here in Romans 8. He lays out, let's be honest, what is a pretty exhaustive and comprehensive list of fears. I mean, he, he really, he spares no fear, right? I mean, he kind of covers all the bases. And there's a lot of serious things on this list. There's a lot of serious things that maybe as I was reading them, you're like, yep, that, that's me, Pastor Paul, that's me. I, I resonate with that one, that's that one for me. There, there's a lot of deadly things on this list, right? The most obvious one is death. But there are a lot of other fears that fill our hearts that are just as real and seem just as imminent, right, or immediate. Not everybody goes around thinking about their death all the time. There's plenty of other stuff, right, right in the present to consume us. And Paul, Paul covers the basis, not just fear of dying, but fear of how you're going to die. Fear of not having your basic needs met. Fear of being sick. Fear of the future. Fear of uncertainty. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the unexpected. 
fear of the loss, fear of being abandoned and alone. Do any of those particularly strike you? Paul doesn't deny any of them. Yet what Paul wants us to see in this text, in the few minutes that we have, is that there exists a reality, a truth, that is far greater than all our fears. He doesn't say, and I love this, that your fears aren't real. They're very real. And he, and he lists them out for us. Some of you, again, as I prayed, are facing debilitating fears in this season, crippling fears, overpowering fears and despair and anxiety. And Paul doesn't deny them, but he says, there's something even more important. There's something even more definite. There's something even more certain than your fears. And he wants us to tell us about it. So, so, so two questions we just want to ask, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning, but two questions, and here they are. What is this truth that Paul wants us to know that's greater than all of our fears? What is the truth? And then secondly, who is it for? All right, so what, what is this truth that Paul speaks of? Look at verse 34. He says it very simply, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised. You know, one of the things that we as a church family have learned over this past season as we have preached through the book of Romans is that despite all appearances to the contrary, our biggest problems are not out there. Our biggest problems aren't in the culture. Our biggest problems aren't in the world. Our biggest problems aren't in our cities or with our neighbors or with our spouses. Our biggest problems ultimately reside in our very hearts. Now, in a vi culture of victimhood, that, that can be very hard to swallow, right? And on the one hand, it is easy to point to things outside of ourselves that are huge problems. Racism, war, corporate greed, economic inequality, crime, inflation. And, and all of those things are problems, of course, in their own right. But listen to this, and this is what one of Paul's central messages okay, in the book of Romans is simply this. The things are the way they are out there because of the way things are as they are in here. See, we, we, we tend to think of things in abstract realities and institutions and nameless faces. You know, an abstract reality named Russia didn't invade an abstract reality called Ukraine. A person, people did that, right? We don't have a, a, an epidemic of emotional, physical, domestic, sexual abuse. People do those things. See, racism and corporate greed aren't just institutional problems, they're people problems, right? Because people lead institutions. What Paul gets at all throughout Romans is that what the Bible calls sin is a very personal thing. And it infects, it invades everything. And all of our fears are ultimately derivative of that. They're either derivative of, of, of sins that have committed, been committed against us, 
sins that we've committed, sins that we've observed, others committing against others. And all of that points and paints a very, let's be honest, a very bleak picture because Hebrews 9 tells us this, church. It says, it's been appointed for all of us to live, to die, and then to stand before God and to give account of our lives. So if, Paul, if what Paul says in Romans is true, and all we have to do is look around, right, anecdotally and know it's true, not, not just on the macro level, but the micro level in our hearts, in our relationships, if what Paul says, if Hebrews 9 is true, then what Paul says about the human heart is not good news for us. He tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that, in essence, is the thing we ought to fear. See, Jesus puts it this way Jesus, in Matthew 10. Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. And he's talking about Satan there. In other words, Jesus is not saying there aren't things to fear. But he's like, if you're going to fear anything, fear for your soul. Fear for your heart. Fear for your sinful condition. Which is why what Paul tells us in verse 34, church, is life-defining. He says, Jesus came and died. And the reason he came and died is that we needed him to come and die. That if he had not come and died for us, as Romans 3 says, as a sacrifice for our sins, as an offering for our sins, a substitute in our place to take on the righteous judgment of God, to be abandoned for our sake. In other words, to face and take on all the fears that were ours and to pay the penalty for those things. Paul says Jesus came and died. But I want to focus on this phrase here just for a second that we find in verse 34. Look back there. It says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. Now listen to this. More than that, who was raised. Now what does that mean, more than that? was he who was raised. Now, Paul is not saying here that the death of Jesus is unimportant and his resurrection is very important. That's, that's not the point of Easter. No, no, Paul has taken eight chapters, which we will not re-preach here this morning lest the Baptists beat you to Easter lunch, okay, right? We're not gonna do that. But, but Paul takes great pains to tell us, right, that the death of Jesus accomplished much. It is the basis of our justification. It is how we are declared righteous before God. It is about how the, the sin bearer took upon sin in our place. So Paul's not saying that the death of Jesus is unimportant. What he's saying is this. The resurrection is what proves that Jesus' death was important. You see, anybody can claim, well, I'm noble in my death, or my death stands for this, or my death pays the penalty for this. Quite one thing to say it, it's quite another for that to actually be true. And what Paul is saying is that what Jesus said about his own death, that I am here to lay down my life as a ransom for many, 
that what Paul says about the death of Jesus, that I have come as a sin bearer in your place to, to pay the penalty for all of your fears, all of your sins, the reason that we know this is true is because of the resurrection. So if you think about it this way, Jesus' resurrection is a proclamation. It's a declaration. It's an assurance of the fact that we trust in Christ and that his death was efficacious for us. In other words, we are not here this morning just doing wishful, sentimental things. We're not just baptizing because this is kind of what you do in a Christian context. We are, we, we're, we're not simply singing songs and gathering together and going out and eating lunch because those are the spiritual things to do. It's because of the resurrection, Paul says, that we are justified, sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection is the assurance that it is so. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this. He says, God, in raising his son again from the dead, is proclaiming to us that he is satisfied with the work that our Lord has, had done, that he had fully borne the punishment of sin, that everything the law demanded has been fully accomplished, that there is nothing left to be done, and that every demand of God's holy character and law has been fully satisfied. For all these reasons, God raised Christ from the dead. See, without Jesus and the resurrection, here's the reality, all of your fears are going to totally come true. You will suffer, you will get sick, there will be disappointment, there will be brokenness, and ultimately not only death, physical death, but spiritual death, separation, eternal separation from God. But Paul says, but because Jesus died and much more than that was raised, we have no fear in life, we have no fear in death. It doesn't mean that those fears aren't real. It's that Paul's saying there is a greater truth. There is a larger reality. There, there is something that's bigger and greater than all of our fears. Look at what Paul says Back in 30, verse 38, he says, for I am sure, and just let this settle over your souls here for this season. Think about whatever turmoil or chaos is happening in your life right now. The things that would make you doubt whether God loves you, or whether God's in control, or whether your fears are ultimate. Listen to what Paul says. He says, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the truth. Secondly, and we're just going to spend like two minutes on this, who is this for? This promise, by the way, guys, is not for everybody. Who is it for then? Well, movie illustration number three, another favorite movie in the Gilbert household, of course, is Waking Ned Devines. Anybody seen this? It's about a group of, shall we say, elderly statesmen, okay? who live on the coast of Scotland or Ireland or somewhere where it's cold and windy and rainy. 
And, and, and the story is that somebody in the town has won the lottery. They have the winning lottery ticket. But no one knows in the town exactly who it is. All they know is that all of their numbers are sequential on the lottery tickets. And the person who has the, they know it's somebody in the town who's bought the winning lottery ticket. And, it, and it's how they're trying to figure out who it is. Now, now, side story, not to create sideways energy, but the person who won the lottery had a heart attack when they found out they won the lottery and they were dead in their house. Okay, that's, that's part of it. And the townspeople, this is the story. I promise this is a great movie. Uh, the townspeople conspire to figure out how they are going to exchange that lottery ticket for the lottery winnings and divide it among everybody in the town. It's not really an ethical movie, but you get where I'm going with it, okay? <laughs> in other words, they're look, it's a fascinating movie because, because they have this lottery ticket. They know it's worth millions, but they know that as long as they hold on to it, as long as there is not some sort of exchange, as long as, there's, as, long as they, they, they don't act upon it, it's not going to do them any good. And that's the same for Romans 8. Romans 8, church, is some fantastic news. It is some amazing news. I mean, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's nothing ultimately to fear, not even death itself. Nobody can bring a charge against God's people. The question is not, is it good news? The question is, is it good news for you? When you look at verse 37, Paul says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, Paul here is talking to the church. He's talking to the family of God. And he uses these terms, we and us. And, and that's Paul's way of saying, those of you who have trusted, those of you who have embraced this message, those of you who have committed your life to Christ, you are now a part of the family of God. And, and let me tell you as a family some amazing news. Because you know what this is like as a family, when you, whether you gather everybody up and you've got some great news, Right? You're going somewhere, something's been done for your family, there's, there's somebody's given a gift, you have this opportunity. And think about the, the, the anticipation that happens. That's what Paul's doing here. He says, come around, let me, let me talk to us and to you. He's talking about the family of God. And understand something, church, the family of God, this is not a secret society. This is not open to only those who know the secret handshake or the password or can find their way through some sort of code or riddle or mystery. No, no, this is not a secret society. Paul says this family of God is open to everyone. It's open to anyone. It's open to all who don't know what to do with their fears. It's open to everyone who finds themselves crippled with fear and anxiety. It's open to everyone who, who has seemingly lost control of their lives, who don't know where to turn, who don't know where to place their feet, who don't know where to take a stand. Paul says, let me tell you something that's greater than all these things. You're more than conquerors. Jesus died for you, and much more than that, he has been raised. 
Paul doesn't promise that all of our fears are going to be removed in this life. In fact, most of them won't. But he simply says there is something that has come that is greater than all of your fears, and that's Jesus. The most important question you can wrestle with is, do you know the God-man? See, see, having this knowledge on a piece of paper is not sufficient. Have you entrusted your life to him? Have you placed your faith in him? We're, we're going to have an opportunity in a minute to see um, baptisms where folks are doing and have done just that. They're saying, I want to be a part of the family of God, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Because if, if, if all of this sounds strange, maybe you've like grown up in the church, but you've never thought about a personal relationship with Christ. Maybe you haven't been in a church for decades, and this is all just some sort of rote, ritualistic sort of religious mumbo-jumbo, and you're just not sure where you are, what you believe, what's in your heart. We, we would love as as spiritual leaders, pastors, and elders to talk to you, to answer any questions that you have, to pray for you. And if that's what God is doing, stirring in your heart, we'll be here up here after the service, several of us, and we would love to, to serve you and minister to you in that way. But let me end by saying this. What, what do you fear the most? Jesus Christ has conquered that fear on the cross for you. Let's pray.